This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we have two episodes of Star Trek to review, which is always exciting and exhausting. We are going to review the Lower Decks season finale, The Stars at Night, and the Prodigy episode... I was going to say season two, but I stopped myself. (laughs) Episode 111, starting the second half of season one called Asylum. But first, we don't have a lot of time for news today because of these two episodes, but we are going to cover a couple of quick things. The first one is that we love to talk about all the gathering of all the Star Trek material in Paramount Plus, but now all of the original series and Next Generation Era Star Trek movies have left Paramount Plus and are on HBO. Now we know. Going there, yeah. They left October 1st, and on November 1st, uh, the first 10 movies will show up on HBO and HBO Max. They'll be there for a couple months. Uh, It's going to be temporary, and this will include the new Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition, and then they'll come back. You know, I've been told that this is an old deal. It predates Paramount+. Plus. There's nothing they could do about it. Um, I mean, there is something they could do about it. They could have bought the rights back like Disney did. But uh, I think we're going to get more of this until probably 2024, maybe. They got the TV stuff exclusive and they make a big deal out of that. But it's going to be a little while till they have the movies all the time. But they, they know it's a, not a problem, but they're kind of aware it's not the best optics. Let me put it that way. Right. There were a lot of jokes on Twitter. The Starship has landed at HBO. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Now, HBO has the rights to South Park. I mean, you know, there are all these deals that Paramount wants to unwind. It's not just, the, you know, right. stuff like this. There's They have bigger fish to fry, actually. Yeah, I mean, the long-term goal is to get them all back. But they made a lot of deals, and they, they're honoring them. There's some good news for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It won the Saturn Award for Best Sci-Fi Streaming Series. Against some good stuff. Really good stuff. It was very tough competition. I was kind of surprised. But no, I mean, they won that Critics Award over the summer. So, you know, the show's getting good buzz. And that's great. Yeah, and Henry Alonzo Myers and Akiva Goldsman and Ethan Peck were all there to accept the award. Yeah, Ethan was nominated. He didn't win, and but he still, you know, showed up in one of his great Star Trek t-shirts. As, <laughs> I was going to say. As did Jerry O'Connell, who presented the award with Denise Crosby, which was just kind of a weird coincidence. Anyway, let's move on. Um, but, you know, by the way, just go to the site. This week is the release of the new great Star Trek ongoing comic. And there's a preview, and we're going to have a review of that. Lori and Joe also did the review of the new Prodigy game. So it's a good week for merchandise. It's a big week for Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Well, since it is such a big week for Star Trek, should we talk about the Lower Deck season finale? Absolutely. It's time to go deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> I can't <laughs> believe we're there already. It was it felt like a very fast season all the way to Texas. Um, what did you think? What's your top level? Well, I mean, you know, simply I very much liked it. As always, I start. Was it funny? Yes, it was very funny. And that's kind of everything that matters. But it was a great tie up for the season it dovetailed very well as I, you know as i said last week i felt like episode nine was really the first part of uh, of the season finale and they kind of did a bunch of stuff in that to make this one work better i feel like yeah to the detriment of the previous episode but this episode i feel worked really well and it tied up season-long arcs i mean they were playing the long game with a lot of these things even though the show isn't heavily serialized they still really were dropping hints all along the way some hints we probably should have picked up on for some of these things you know so we'll get into all the details but that's i'm starting with really liked it final answer (laughs) (laughs) yeah i thought it was great i agree that it was really funny i love there were so many big character moments that i really liked that i thought reinforced especially like Freeman, Tendi, Mariner, Shacks were my four big ones. I thought it was actually like had a nice um, emotional resonance at the end. There was excitement, you know, everything swelled and it was great and big. And there were callbacks like all the way back to the first episode of the show. And obviously callbacks to previous Star Trek, although again, they are calling back to themselves more and more all season long. And this episode was a great 
example of that. So that although there were some fun Easter eggs and a few deep cuts here and there, it wasn't about that at all. And things we predicted, like we were talking about the Ultimate Computer original series last week. You know, automated ship. Yes. It was never going to go well. You know, the, the, <laughs> the, you know the, the twist would have been that it went just fine. You know, that it was a nice ship and everything was fine. That would have been shocking. But of course, I think things got more evil than I thought they were going to go. A little darker <laughs> than I thought they were going to go. But we knew the Texas was bad news. Right. Not. The Texas class. We also had a great big reveal because we found out who the towel guy is. <laughs> Hans the towel guy, who's the gossip king, and he's never been wrong. I feel like we got more <laughs> on him in this episode than we've known the whole time. Well, he had he got a last name about halfway through the season, <laughs> which I now forget. But now he has a first name and he's the gossip. Yes, yeah, so he is now two-dimensional, I guess, of a character. <laughs> well. So they're building up towel guy. Next thing you know, he's going to have a whole subplot. We'll have to look on Memory Alpha and see if he's there yet. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he is. Um, I'm sure he was there before. Those guys are amazing in how fast they are to yeah. give these things. Although now they have to create new pages for all the new California class <laughs> Which, boy, I loved Boimler rattling them off as they appeared. <laughs> yeah, they were coming so fast. I mean, I recognize, obviously, being a California native, I recognize all the names. I've been to most of these places. And yeah, there there were some fun names in there. If you're Californian, you'll definitely like that. I was a little surprised that one, that one of the Texas ships was the Dallas, which is a huge city. Yeah. So they didn't stick with the small town thing. But that's because they're evil. Right? <laughs> so they're inconsistent. They all had daddy issues, those ships. <laughs> I will burn you in fire, which, yes. of course, is what um, Badgie said. Yes. The Badgie daddy issues were there from the beginning. Yeah, they had the Badgie problems. <laughs> like, that made Rutherford admire his own code before he realized what it was. I'm glad they tied up the Rutherford arc, because it's better to not just leave that lingering, so... Now we know who the bad at, bad guy was. So here's my question is, should we or shouldn't we have spotted Buen Amigo, good friend, as good a friend. bad admiral? You know, it's... From the beginning. I mean, here's what I think. I think if it was the kind of show, like Picard, where you're watching, looking for all these things, then we probably would have or should have. Like, like if you go back and watch the season, you might see things that you didn't notice before. But this show, I don't watch in the same kind of way. Well, because I've always wondered this season, what happened to Admiral Dad? He was in the first episode and then kind of disappeared. Right. Because he was all, usually played the kind of role of the Admiral saying, oh, you got to go to this sector or whatever, whatever. But this season, it was always Buen Amigo. I thought it might have been, you know, an availability of Phil Lamar or something like that. You know, the, you know, but it was obviously bigger than that. I talked about it on this podcast of the biggest clue was in the DS9 episode when he made up the excuse for them to have to take over. And yep. he made up the thing about the brown hole. And she said, that's not even a thing. Right. Right. So it was obvious he was manipulating things to send them there and her anger at what had happened was justified when she said normally they'd have you know months to prepare for this right he set her up to fail and th that was kind of obvious right it was you know but it was kind of a gag i guess you know um and a way to you know put her in a position of having to do a major thing which isn't normal for california class but it kind of showed his hand that he's been manipulating her. And, you know, I guess we could have caught that. But you're right. You know, we aren't really looking for those things on this show to try to, you know, it's not like Discovery. Right. They, yeah, at the beginning of the season, they're like, what's the burn? And they're releasing what's the burn merchandise. You know, it's, it's <laughs> you know, they're like, look, we've got a big mystery. What is it? So Mike is more devious than that. You know, he didn't release what's up with Buen Amigo t-shirts at the beginning of the season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Buen Amigo has landed now. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, no, and I I mean, that's okay. Like, I don't always want to watch that way, looking for clues and trying to guess the next thing. And I feel like Lower Decks is always so full of surprises and quick things that I just kind of sit back and enjoy it. It's a ride. Every episode is a ride. I mean, the Bad Merle is a Starfleet, Star Trek cliche. And so I'm cool with that. My only thing here is, well, there's a couple things. One is he was too evil. You know, there's being kind of slimy or wily or even having a different agenda. But he was just, down. you know, he was a murderer who's been planning this for a while. And it was for a dumb reason because he wasn't advancing enough. You know, he was already, you know, he had three Admiral Pips. I mean, what does what does this guy want? And because, you know, we've seen kind of bad admirals before, like Pressman. You know, but he had a vision of like Starfleet should be using cloaking devices. So he, at least he had a, a conflicting idea that it's worth, you know, violating the treaty because, you know, they need the defense. And you know, even those guys who did the coup that, you know, they had a vision of how Starfleet could be better. Right. They weren't looking at advancing themselves at the expense of other people. Right. So, you know, he justified death because eh, whatever. Although he said, you know, the, the, the Texas class will save lives. Um, anyway, you know, it's it's a minor quibble, but I, I feel like he was, I mean, he did have a mustache. He never twirled it, I don't think. Nobody did cigar. do an evil, maniacal laugh. Yeah, yeah. he absolutely <laughs> did. If you weren't sure that there was something going on, that was the moment that told you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. If not when he lit the cigar. But <laughs> but if there was that moment where Freeman said, you know, you're not one of those bad faith admirals who's up to no good. You're better than this. And he was like, no, I'm not. No, <laughs> I thought he would use the word like one someone would use the word bad admiral because it did it. But maybe that's a little too meta, although they got a little. Uh, did you notice how the Starfleet command meeting was straight out of Star Trek six? Same desk, <laughs> same lamps, same lighting. It was just straight it was great <laughs> so but those are the subtle it's those are the subtle things i love is that they don't really have to make a point of it unless you really care about these kinds of things but do you think you know this really isn't the show for it but are they making political points you know because deal you know drones are a big issue right we hear about them all the time right and this idea of automation and you know that's a long time star trek thing um and, you know, also the Texas versus California thing, which is red state versus blue state. That's what I was feeling a little bit. I think they are dipping their toe into a little um, politics here. But in a light and playful way, as they do. Yes, I guess I'm a Californian. Um, I'm curious what a Texan thinks of this. <laughs> well, we have people who live in Texas. On the Trek movie team, I don't know that I call them Texans so much because they've moved there from somewhere else and aren't aligned politically. Yeah, they're not native Texans. Right. They do not have the hats or the buckles. Right. As far as we know. Another thing that Matt pointed out, and this is more how they design the character and stuff like that, and it kind of throws you off, is that when you see him in the flashback, he's a commander when he... Uh, erased Rutherford's memory. And I don't think that really works with the timeline. Like how long ago did he erase Rutherford's memory? <laughs> Could he have been a commander back then? And he's an admiral now. It just doesn't, I don't think that works timeline wise. Yeah. I gotta be honest with lower decks that I, I don't even think about that kind of thing. <laughs> I just feel like that in that, in this case, that part of it is just there for the comedy and I don't worry about it. Maybe I should, but I don't. But his whole big plan was great because it offered a lot of great action. I mean, this was one of the more, you know, as Mike said, it's a big episode. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there was just a ton of action, both during the race, which was fun, and then during the battle at the end. I loved Freeman improvising the idea for the race going, I don't know. I just thought of it on the fly. And I was like, that's like, she was so good in this episode, really funny, very much in character. I thought showing actually how Freeman and Mariner are so similar 
in so many ways. Like you really got the mother daughter behavior in this one. And she was smart and she was right. Don Lewis has actually been much more prominent this season, I feel. Yeah. And I think that's just because it shows how impossible it is to do one of these shows without making the captain a prominent character. No matter how much you want everything to be about the lower deckers, the captain is the captain. And especially yep. with the captain being her mom, she's got to be a major character. You know, the one thing about Carol, and this kind of gets into the, the Mariner's arc as well, is that it was tidied up a bit too neatly, I feel, at the end with Mariner. And this gets to how last episode relied on sitcom cliches. There's an element of that here as well, I feel, where Mariner comes back and her arc is kind of fulfilled, right? Her should I be in Starfleet arc where she, you know, went through everything and then left and now came back. And she's a born again Starfleeter, as it were. <laughs> I mean, her mom was genuinely sorry, but, you know, Mariner basically forgave everyone and said, oh, it was really my fault. Last week, it seemed too much the way people dismissed her and shunned her. This week, it seemed too easy. You know, she even said to Boimler, oh, no, you know, this isn't one of those times. You know, so or did you get that? Yeah. When he said, is this one of those times where you say it's OK, but it really isn't because I'm happy to keep apologizing. I thought she was going to go. Yep. Yep. That's what you need to do. Um, and then she just was like, no, I, it was all my fault. I mean, she sort of made it seem like, well, I made you all think that I was like that. But she's, she's made so much progress. It, it just, this gets to the forgetting about character development you've done thing. So I feel like it's nice where they ended up, but they kind of swung things too far last episode and then snapped everything back as if none of that happened. The one place where I think they realized they couldn't do that um, was Jennifer. Right, who just gives a, a look as she's going by. But I, yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. And I think that even Mariner, when she was, you know, in her wildest, didn't lie about what she did and wasn't confused about what she did wrong. But I, I, I did like Mariner's little story in this. She had her fun little adventure with Petra, uh, you know, uh, with the Ferengi and doing a little tomb raiding. Indiana Jones style. <laughs> with <Yeah, it's... laughs> big hints for anybody who didn't get that that's what they were referring to yeah she should have had a whip yep that was definitely fun and she was obviously too cocky because she almost you know ended up getting killed by the Ferengi yeah but I, I was caught off guard because I did kind of think maybe there is something nefarious going on with this Petra person where she's her joke about, oh, how cute it is that you think you understand how money works. Mm -hmm. So did you, did you believe she was evil? Oh, no, I see. Yeah, I assumed there was something bad going on. And then when she's then when it turns out it's Picard who's been financing it, it just raised all the money questions for me all over again. <laughs> that never really makes sense in the Star Trek world. Well, he's not sending out those cases of wine for free, is he? And he's got workers that he must be paying. There's just, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, we brought this up when we reviewed Picard, but it's the same issue. So, but separate from the confusing money part, it does make sense that that would be an operation he would be interested in. For sure. And he likes mummies just as much as she does. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it's, it's Petra still like, is she a good person or a bad person? She was hiding the fact that her friends were in trouble. Well, she's got a chip on her shoulder. Yeah. She wasn't there at the end. Even though she helped, you know, kind of, finally. Yeah. So, um, but they're like, yep, yeah, thank you, and goodbye. So, I'm sure she'll be back. Yeah, I agree with you. I love that big rescue at the end when Mariner's like, I got them all here. Like, I, I, it just makes, it makes your heart leap. Like, it was such a great moment that had been building up. You know, that's like almost all season to this moment where all the California class ships show up. And it was exciting. I loved it. Yeah, that was a great twist. Remember last week, we're like, who's going to be the big cameo? They set this up so that you're expecting it to be something like the Titan. And even Miglumos says, where's the Titan? So, yeah, no, it was great. It was the show was celebrating itself with all the California class ships. And the chant at the end, the low, you know, the old lower decks chant was now 
California class. They were chanting yep. California class. So, and I love all the different California class, especially the bizarro one where there's <laughs> the male Freeman and the fly the version fly. of, of Boimler. <laughs> so good. I want to know more about fly Boimler and female shacks and male uh, Dr. Tana. <laughs> I, I, I'm always on Tana watch. I mean, the thing about the season now that Tendi has moved into science, I think that's what's killing the Ta'ana show ups because there's just a lot less sick bay with Tendi, which is when we got all of our Dr. Ta'ana. Right, when she was her boss. Yeah, so now we're just getting only when someone, you know, get, needs to get their leg sawed off do we get her. But I so much loved the scene where she's ordering the troops around and she has a writing crop. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And she had a bit of a deep cut there. She said she, uh, what was it? Uh, she didn't spend five fucking years on an Oberth, sh- you know, to be relegated to be a station doctor or something, which is a ship joke for you <laughs> ship people out there. So, but there still could have been more, but at least I got a little in the finale. Yeah. And, you know, there's always somebody in sick bay. <laughs> Indeed. So, Boim, you know, we, we were wondering where were they going with Boimler's bold Boimler thing. Um, and it did get him killed at least once, <laughs> briefly. But it culminated in that moment on the bridge when he had the guts to stand up and yell at everyone to listen to Shax. Because yeah. they set up the Shax thing when he... By the way, Jack Quaid did a great Dr. Tana and it did a great Shax and did a great... Ransom. Ransom's kind of easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that that was a fun little tie-in to an episode arc and a season arc for him. For Brad to stand up for Shaxx, I felt. And I it was I loved the way that it was set up. Like the beginning with the imitations and also that Shaxx was so wounded. Like I love that he's such a sweet, sensitive soul. He's this big, burly guy who weeps when his feelings are hurt. Um, and stomps away but that 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 setup at the beginning which felt like just a jokey thing actually turned out to lead to this really big moment at the end yeah his walk from the bridge to engineering <laughs> was so beautiful and i'm trying to think of what is it i mean it's it seems to be a reference to something there's some kind of movie or something where someone goes through a ship like that i mean yeah the Kayshawn, it treats him like he's like a bride on his way to the altar almost because uh, you know and the way he's he's almost blushing he's so excited like a yep. little girl actually and thanking everybody and just so grateful <laughs> and it means so much to him because he's been wanting to do that since the very beginning of the show yeah i think he suggested ejecting the warp core in the first episode I'm the sure. world... i feel like he did yeah yeah there was the <laughs> the aliens from the first episode were there uh yep. D- douglas station was you know there was a lot of tie-ins to that first uh, series premiere that there was a beautiful moment for Shax to finally get to eject the warp core <laughs> i love Shax. like now i love him even more than i did before although while they were ignoring Shax, there were some fun callbacks in the suggestions like do they try to put the you know automated chips in a logic puzzle and no Ru- rutherford goes no i safeguarded it against paradoxes yeah <laughs> So, so they were running through some of the greatest hits. I, and of course, Barnes suggested using the deflector dish as a weapon, which is just like. Always. You know, I mean, that's up there with reversing the polarity is just the king of <laughs> cliches. There were some other fun suggestions in there that were all cliches while well, they were ignoring Shax's actual good idea. Right. <laughs> he always suggests that. Oh, wait. Yeah, that was really, really good. I have a curious. So Tendi, I mean, Tendi's thing was that. She noticed the life form or thought she noticed the life form, which almost got them to lose the race, but then was the twist in how they were able to save the day. Because she asked the right question, which was, why didn't the Alito also do that? And Miglamo was cool, cute with how he said she embraced science because he's her mentor. Yes. Um, but I thought she was decided she wanted to be a captain. So I'm a little confused about like, is she all science or is she all command or maybe this will maybe the you captain don't have thing. to be all one or the other. Like, I guess Catherine, Catherine Janeway is a scientist. That's her thing. OK, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I thought they were going in a new direction, but they're sticking with which is fine. Her season arc has been 
about science and they stuck the landing on that. So I guess I thought there was a there was an audible they were throwing. But right. you can decide you want to be captain without going into a captain's program. Like I feel like Tilly was the first one that that brought up this whole separate captain's training program idea. But before that, I just assumed that it was like part of the progression for certain people. Although ransom briefing all the command track people how to sit in a chair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> Even if you didn't know the reference, it was hilarious. But yes. no, knowing the Riker thing is, I mean, the, he, I think he's done it once before, but it wasn't so like blatant as this command of the chair. Was, right. That was fantastic. Especially given that the other prep was so much more important to the mission. <laughs> like yeah. that was in a collection of scenes of everybody getting ready for the big finale. And that's his big move. Well, it's important for people to know how to sit down at the right it moment, is. I guess. It is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a time saver, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> although you kind of need to have the height for it, let's face it. Yes, so. it helps. So it shouldn't be a surprise because we knew it was coming, but we kind of forgot that Talyn was going to come. Yes, I thought that was such a great way for her to arrive for her to be paired up with Tendi, who's so excited to have any study buddy and just wants to drag her into the crowd. Like now, doesn't that make you so excited about next season? Yeah, she's got her new pal. I'm I'm hoping that this is going to be a recurring character and I could see an interesting dynamic between the two of them. Absolutely. Yep. So I'm glad Talyn finally showed up. That's for sure. Because Every, you know, that was the character. I mean, all the characters from that episode, the three ships episode stood out, but she definitely did. And I think Mike said something like, you know, they didn't know because they do these things so far in advance. It kind of I think he suggested they would have brought her in earlier if they knew the reaction, but they knew there was going to at least be something. So they decided to bring her in eventually. Yeah, but we'll get more of her for sure. And now Boimler's in the bear pack, which is nice. <laughs> yes. Oh, bears. I love that. Oh, bears. <laughs> He's got a bridge, a bridge buddy. Yep. So we're in agreement. Good episode. Little things here and there, but we loved it. And we feel like it tied up the season well. So where, where are you on the season compared to seasons one and two? Oh, I, this might be my favorite. I mean, there are, there are certain episodes in previous seasons that I liked, but I think overall, I really, really enjoyed this season. No, I, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. I think it's the best season. I think the show's getting better. It's getting more confident. Season two was strong, stronger. The problem with season one is it took them a little while. I think the first half of the season was fine, but the second half, it really took off, I feel, in the second half. You know, whereas the last two seasons were good from the beginning. I think the show's getting better, and... I'm glad they've tied everything up. That You don't feel like there's a lot of loose ends. Do you have any big questions for season four? A couple of things that don't resolve at the end of this season. And one is from a couple of episodes ago, which is the whole Section 31 story with William Boimler. But the other one came as a little surprise at the end of the credits this week. Yeah, after credits scenes really aren't a Star Trek thing in the new era of Star Trek. Have we seen this before? I'm trying to remember. It must have happened before. I don't know. It's something I don't even look for because I'm not used to needing to. <laughs> yeah, this was teased earlier on in the season in the Peanut Hamper episode where we saw Rutherford's eyepiece, former um, eyepiece flicker. And as we remember from the season one finale, Badgie is in that eyepiece and... Now someone is coming to get it. Um, we didn't really see. Did we? Did, could you tell the ship? I think it was a mystery ship. I think it was a mystery ship, but it's in a system where you can usually find the pack leads. Yeah, but I. Well, that's an interesting. Yeah, but you know the the scavenger showed up there. It was a green glow, so it could be the Romulans, because or the Borg. It could be anybody, but I figure it's in that system probably for a reason. Well, that's only because it was left there, you know, so right. it could be Section 31. It could be the cloaking um, defiant class ship that they have. That's true. Could be anybody, you know, <laughs> uh, but Badgie's, I mean, we just went through all this with the, you know, this, this season 
the AI turned out to be the bad guy again in Star Trek. I mean, we liked the episode, but um, there are a couple AI's been the bad guy on Picard and on Discovery and now on Lower Decks. So they're they're all doing it right. Well, it, you know, they have a good Trek tradition of starting that as far back as the original series. Yeah. So if it weren't badgy, like if you were to say, oh, and they're going to do more bad AI again, I'd be like, really? But badgy's fun, right? <laughs> I agree. I am. I'm happy to have more badgy. And McBrayer is hilarious. So, yep. yeah, you know, it'll be welcome. Are they just going to do a one episode thing or is it going to be a big arc thing? Because as it turned out, the season had a kind of big, bad mega arc. You know, is that a new normal for the show? We'll have to ask Mike next time we talk to him. Yeah. And I want to go back. It really makes me want to go back and watch the whole season again. Yeah, because, you know, he was there in episode one. Yep. In the opening scene, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. When Mariner was throwing things? Yeah, exactly. And yep. he called in and, you know, established himself as a friend of the family, which kind of threw us off. Yep. Sneaky. And I have to say one of the highlights for me also was the new expression, maximum warp me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good she's got some variations on it. Yeah. And the and that when it was, you know, big time for the big command, she actually said, make it so. To Shax. Yes. Which, you know, they've all got to know is a Picardism. Yes. Everyone's, everyone's got to know that, you know. Yes. But I'm on uh, Team Freeman these days. I'm loving her. Yeah, no, she did some good captaining. She was thinking on her feet to save the ship and save the Cali class in general. Although I, I just never, I never saw the Texas class as a real threat. I mean, it was obviously combat capable, but you know, sure, it could beam some stuff down. But how do you have a meeting with people and how do you really do second contact? I don't know. I just feel like it was never they were never they could never win. And obviously things like discovering life and stuff like that. Although some people had an interesting theory. Some fans thought that the ship might have been manned by synths because we're getting close to the attack on Mars in, in the Picard, from the Picard flashbacks. Right. So um, and I think Mike has talked about how he wants to stay on this side of that for the show in general because things get dark. Yeah. The, the Romulan refugee crisis and all of that is just... There's not a lot of comedy in a refugee crisis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they may start condensing the timeline more. Yeah, I mean, I did think it was odd that Starfleet so readily was re was willing to have these automated ships do second contact. Like Buen Amigo pushing for it was one thing, but the other admirals being like, yeah, that's what's going to happen. It served the story, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense for the exact reasons that you're saying. You know, although the project swing by, and I guess that's an open question of whether that'll be part of their mission next year, because that gives them the opportunity to go check out uh, many familiar places. <laughs> what's the ultimate planet that everyone wants to go back to? What's the gangster planet? Iconia? Oh, the, Icoche, uh, no, the Icoche, wait, Ioceans maybe or something. They were yeah, called. I know. We're such bad Star Trek fans. I know. <laughs> But it'd be fun if they incorporated that back into the, you know, as their mission so that every once in a while they drop by one of those planets to see there what's going on. There are so many from every series. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's like it's a good Starfleet idea and a great story device. They kind of did it in this episode, but it wasn't the same planet, but the Brigadoon kind of planet <laughs> that pop yeah. pops in um, was uh, the Meridian, but it wasn't the same one. No, and also in, in Meridian, they turn into like sort of metaphysical beings, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so that, that would be the difference. Actually, that was a really fun little scene, episode. though. Yeah, it was a very funny scene. I love the dryness and the, 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 and the guy was so excited. I enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed the Deep Space Nine episode very much. Well, I, I think that's it for Lower Decks. Great wrap up to a great season. So let's pivot to the new show. Let's talk a little Star Trek Prodigy. It's back. My precious Prodigy has returned. I'm so happy. Since the last episodes aired, I put up a poster in my office. I've got my badge <laughs> on. I'm ready to go. 
What, what are you talking about? It's still season one. There's been, I know. You know, it's, it... <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I could say this is such a great way to kick off season two, but it's not season two. So instead, I'll say it's such a great way to kick off the second half of season one. Well, it was. I very much enjoyed the episode. It goes by like really fast. Like I'm not saying it ends abruptly, but it really is a quick watch. Yeah, well, they they pack in a lot. Like when you look back at it, I mean, however, I didn't check, I didn't clock how long it is, but there's so much that happened. And I felt like they did such a good job of sort of telling us where we are without bad exposition. Right. They do a couple flashbacks to episode 10, and there's just little things throughout that remind you, because it has been almost a year. It takes a little while to remember where everything was. They also nicely sort of had moments for each character to remind you of what that character's like. Not that I forgot for a second, but, you know, like little, not just plot and story where we are, but who are these kids again? I thought everything was so nicely done. Each one had elements of their personality. Each one kind of had a hero moment. Yep. And each one also telegraphed their arc for the half season as it were, mm-hmm. to say this is what their new goal in life is. Just solid. It's written by the showrunners. Dan and Kevin know what they're doing. Yeah. I wish there were more Admiral Janeway and her little crew. We definitely got more of them than in episode 10, which there was like less than a minute. And this time we heard Divi Diggs. We got a little Divi Diggs. Yeah. He was the only one, who, you know, and of course, a little Robert Beltran. Mm-hmm. You know, I did feel a little wanting more of what's going on on the Dauntless and all that kind of stuff. But they had to catch us up with the kids, and I think that's... Yeah, I thought the balance was actually about right. Even though I'm very eager to hear those new ones, I felt like let this episode be mostly about our kids. And I love that they threw in all these tiny little callbacks to Star Trek movies and, you know, like just little sort of thematic things that would not be picked up by, let's say, kids who haven't watched Star Trek but are fun for the rest of us who are watching. I mean, the intro was beautiful, the yeah. kind of cold, cold open. They kind of did their version of the often panned, <laughs> you know, introduction in Star Trek Into Darkness, but they had their little underwater adventure. There was a little Star Wars episode one, Phantom Menace in there. And the music was very much, I mean, which is no surprise because Melomat is a prodigy or not prodigy, protege uh, of <laughs> Michael Giacchino. So it was very Star Trek Kelvin music at that, you know, the, the heroic moment when the protostar arrives, which begs the question, why why didn't they just do that to begin with? I know, I was <laughs> sort of wondering, like, why didn't they just beam it to where they needed to? So, but I, you know, they wanted to give us that moment in the little vehicle and then, you know, a little Star Trek four because they're saving the whales. And she was pregnant. And she was pregnant. So I like that. I thought it was even reminiscent of the Discovery episode, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Oh, yeah. With the, gar- what's it called? Gorman- Gormand- the Gormagander. The Gormagander. That yeah. opens up and then he's inside it. And so it kind of opens up and it cuffs up the ship. But, uh, yeah. you know, that rem- I just, I liked, it was all small. It was just like a little callback in just a small way that was sort of warm and nice inside but it gave you a glimpse of during their i guess you know it's been a few weeks they've been doing these little good deeds Mm -hmm. you know because they're like well we're thieves so let's because we always said starfleet's not going to be happy about a bunch of thieves so they're trying to make up for it with these good deeds which is probably why they went down to the planet because they're trying not to break the prime director because janeway when they did beam the whale onto the ship she's noted that they barely didn't you know because there was the moment where the the fish guy comes out of the water and unlike into darkness doesn't see the ship right a little bit of commentary because on into darkness they did see the ship oh they i mean it came rising out of the water there was no way for them to miss it (laughs) (laughs) but that was important to that plot but we're not going to get into that (laughs) just you get really excited really quickly it was a great intro i think it works on many levels for kids new fans old fans i like the guys with the spears I like those guys, the evil yeah, guys. Yeah, even though they're destroying their own ecosystem. I know, but they didn't know. But they looked cool. Yeah, they did look cool, yeah. for sure. But, you know, that was it was all just a prelude to the main event, which is they're going to find this relay station. It wasn't clear, like, did they know they were heading for this relay station and they decided to just do a few good deeds before they showed up to kind of 
build some goodwill or did they just happen upon it? It was a little unclear. But I'm glad they didn't waste time with, look, there's a relay. What is it? I don't know. Oh, it's a Federate. You know, they just skipped all that and just got right to the action, which they have to do in this show because they have to make a lot of things happen in a short time. Episode 10 ended where they, you know, someone literally said, let's go to the Federation. So now they've they've essentially arrived on, I think they're implying this is the border. Is it quite, so the relay station actually inside the border of the Federation or is it outside the border? Well, they said it's I'm the farthest one, right? Like so. Yeah, but do, but do, doesn't the Federation have relay stations outside of its borders? But it's, you know, you know, within the sphere of influence of the Federation, right. I guess. And it is the furthest one. You know, they are getting closer where they met a Denobulin. That was kind of fun. I know. I loved his his hair and like his eyebrows. <laughs> like I just loved the way that he looked. I loved his whole manner, but especially his wacky hair. Like this poor guy who's alone. I kept thinking like, why is he alone? Why wouldn't they give him like someone else for company or holograms or something? The poor guy it seemed like he'd had it. You know, he had some good lines, but my favorite one was when Zero comes in and they say, if you look upon me and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go mad, whatever. <laughs> You know, I've been here, you know, I'm already going crazy. I'm already on the station, you know, so that's great. You know, that's driving me crazy enough. So that was, that was great. Right. And he's afraid he's going to get sent somewhere worse, like Nimbus 3. <laughs> right. Which is a deep cut, but we know that there's, you know, I bet you that's Aaron Watke pulled that one out from Star Trek Five. You know, no kid watching the show is going to get that, but it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter at all. And then the rest of us get to have a laugh about Nimbus 3. So we're dancing around what I think everyone's going to be talking about from this scene, which is we finally have it. Murph. We finally know what Murph is. Yeah. And I, it's 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 an odd. It's a very weird deep cut, isn't it? <laughs> it is a, well, first of all, like recently, Aaron posted something on Twitter to remind people that there is that Murph is related to an obscure reference, not the original series. Zero was related to the original series because right. Zero's Medusin. And it's a TNG reference and it definitely is deep. It's it's a line of dialogue <laughs> from the episode where Wesley tries to get into the Academy when he calls a guy. Does he call the guy or the guy calls him a melanoid slime worm? I think the guy calls him one and then Wesley learns he's supposed to insult him back. Right. So Murph is a melanoid slime worm. Yeah. Actually, the guy, our friend says, I'll be a Horta's uncle, a melanoid slime worm. <laughs> <laughs> Why would being a melanoid slime worm be an insult if they're so adorable? I know. Is I the question. I didn't understand because he was truly adorable. Murph is delightful. Maybe there's multiple types of melanoid slime. Maybe some of them are not so adorable or who knows. Well, and we know there's a metamorphosis coming. <laughs> That's true. So maybe like he has an adolescent phase where he's annoying, you know, kind of like Groot when Groot becomes yes. a teenager. <laughs> you know, so I have a feeling that we're going to see this with Murph. I think Murph's going to go through all those phases. Right. And, you know, he's probably going to become a petulant teenager. He's going to go through puberty. Oh, God. What would that look like? <laughs> we're going to have to show him a little film. You know, like they do in health class. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But I did like all the little joking about because they keep on trying to not say they stole the ship, but then they keep on saying it anyway. Right. I was surprised that the Frax guy was kind of like, sure, whatever. We welcome everyone, you know, because I mean, they did say they were refugees. Yeah. It was an interesting. And they were like, we wanted to. I loved when Rock goes, we want to join Starfleet. Like, so excited. So <laughs> I think that was probably a little infectious. I mean, in addition to the Murph news, we also had some some doll news. Not new. Well, I mean, it's, we got an answer we, for Murph. We got a hint for doll. We got an interesting new piece of information, which is notify Starfleet right away. Like he was on every monitor in the place. Yeah, which is either really good or really bad, I right. think. You know, like, you know, either he's the son of an admiral or he's a dangerous alien or whatever it is, they want to know about it right away. Yep. And yet, Frax is pretty much, uh, you know, sanguine about that. He's like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to go take care of some other things. And then he just keeps trying to get them all excited by talking about the final frontier. He didn't know who Gwyn was. Right. That's because they haven't had first contact yet with that planet because that's in the future and her father comes from the future and he made her. So she's just kind of a time traveler. 
or she's the spawn of a time yeah, traveler. She's the spawn. <laughs> progeny. Sorry. Progeny <laughs> of a time traveler. Spawn just doesn't sound <laughs> good. <laughs> but yeah, we're learning more about each of them and that, you know, but that was also a time to set up like, like I, I think we're getting the sense for rock of rocks arc is going to be picking a science. I know. And what I'm looking forward to is eliminating the ones that aren't going to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think there's going to be funny ways for her to learn. Like, I guess this one isn't my thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Celestial mechanics, not, not her thing. Right. Nothing really happened with Pog, except he learned that he's a Tellarite. He's royalty. I think he knew he was a Tellarite before. Yeah, I before. think so too. I, he didn't know that they were a founding species, you know, founding member of the Federation. Yeah, which went right to his head. And he discovered hot dogs. <laughs> I'm so excited for him. <laughs> so they didn't have hot dogs on the Protostar, no. I guess. You know, there's some interesting things about the, the Protostar has this advanced drive, but like, the you know, the sick bay in the station yeah. was more advanced. So maybe the Protostar, there's like one advanced thing about it, but not, a, you know, that's about it. The rest of it, not so much. I thought that was interesting about the sick bay too. It didn't make sense to me that it wouldn't be as advanced as a relay station sick bay. I think the Protostar is like a glorified shuttle with this crazy engine attached to it. I mean, it's really not that big. Like when you look at it next to the station, for example. And it has sort of makeshift, like the vehicle replicator is cool, but it's the kind of thing you do when you don't have room to store a lot of vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. Still, it's still a cool ship, but it allows them to land on pl and land places, which I think is a kind of right. a key feature of the show instead of always beaming. Because the starship is landing. Oh, God. Let's not even get Sorry. into that. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I apologize. <laughs> yes. I mean, the other thing about the hot dogs that was interesting is once things started going wrong, it was shooting hot dogs at them, which, again, is a throwback to... The animated series, The Practical Joker, where the replicator's flinging food at everybody, and uh, Discovery again, which is the short trek with Mary, the first one. Didn't Lower Decks do that? And then with Lower the Decks did it too. Yeah. So everybody likes yeah. the idea of the replicator shooting food. Although these were like electric hot dogs, like they were <laughs> full of sparks also. <laughs> but the, the stakes ratcheted up very quick. It was funny, and then suddenly Gwyn is about to die. Yeah. That was intense. By the way, what the hell was Dahl doing? He's standing on top of the clear, Shoot. you know, thing, shooting a phaser straight at her. Yes. I mean, thank God the medical thing was like super strong because otherwise if it if he succeeded, he would have killed her. Yeah. I mean, he's 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 got a couple things to learn. But she was able to save herself, which I thought was kind of cool, actually. And Doll ended up in the arms of Rock Talk like a little baby, yep. which was adorable. Rock Talk was, I loved Rock Talk carrying Murph too. There was lots of carrying with Rock Talk. Now, this all happened because of the weapon. They keep on using the term weapon, but it's this. It's a weapon. <laughs> I forget what it's called. It's got a name, but the thing, the red glowing thing yes. that was left there by the Diviner on the Protostar, which will infect the Federation. Now we know how. That was pretty effective. Is it, though, like, if it acted like a computer virus, a virus doesn't kill its host that fast. Like, its goal is to spread, then kill. Why didn't it try to communicate with the rest of Starfleet? Why did it just immediately start destroying the station? I, I assume there's more to it, and we're going to learn over the next nine episodes, but that seemed like a weird choice for this thing to do. It should have spread, not killed, immediately, right? Maybe the reason it didn't spread is because the relay station is so far away. And that's why it's the first place that it hit. Because if it hit somewhere where things were already interconnected, it would have spread. This gets back to the Project Pathfinder. And obviously this guy's lonely and on his own. He's not in two-way communication with the Federation. Right. That must be it. Yeah. And that, you know, maybe there was no line of cute because the wormhole wasn't in range or whatever weird way they're communicating because they're so far away right that this thing couldn't get off the station so it's like screw it i'm just gonna if this is all i could do then i'm just gonna destroy the right. station. and i think that's i think that was deliberate i mean it was scary for sure yeah and i don't blame this guy for thinking it was their fault like they're like why are you blaming us and it's like well you showed up and the station destroyed itself and you said you stole a starship so you know one plus one equals two you know they look like bad guys it's still kind of harsh for a starfleet guy to do 
leaving in the only escape pod was a bit harsh. And there's a kind of if he's really in the middle of nowhere, where the hell is he going? Right. And there was room in that escape pod for the rest of them. Maybe not for Rock Talk. <laughs> I mean, for the story to work, they he had to leave them on their own. And they appeared like enemy, like they were attacking the station from his perspective. He didn't see all these adorable scenes that we saw. He just saw these guys showed up and the station started blowing itself up immediately. But they also said they were refugees. So I would say like if he was just a rando guy, sure. But he's a Starfleet guy. So that wasn't the best response, I thought. Let's just say he's not the best of the best because he's in outpost station. By himself. CR721. Yeah. All alone. Yeah. Without even a bat to keep him company. <laughs> I suspect we'll see him again because otherwise it feels like he died, which you wouldn't want to do on the show. No, I think he's gonna he's gonna spread the word that they're bad. That makes sense. Yeah. So maybe Janeway will find him. The other Janeway. Right. But I did like their solution. I like that you know immediately their captain steps up and makes a good captain decision. I didn't quite understand why the spacesuits fit them so well. Well, here's my headcanon. Okay, for that. do it. Because, because yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So these aren't spacesuits in the normal sense. They are borrowing a little bit from Discovery, but it, it's, it makes sense for the 24th century for there to be nanotechnology and for it to be able to... Because Starfleet is full of so many aliens, it doesn't make sense to have spacesuits, really. You'd have something that could build a spacesuit around whatever you got. You know, do you have antenna? Do you have three arms or two arms? You know, so you'd need something flexible, especially because they're kind of emergency things. So it scans you and says, oh, you're a Bricar, so I'm going to be big. Right. You know? And th I think we've seen them wearing spacesuits on the Protostar. So I think this technology has actually kind of shown itself already. Although I guess the replicator on the Protostar could have built it. But basically, there's a little replicator inside the helmet is what I'm thinking. OK, I'll go for that. Or something like that. I like it. Yeah, because, you know, Rock Talk's suit is gigantic. And, and... Jankums fits him. and <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Murph doesn't need one. Murph is out there in the vacuum of space because Murph is indestructible. Yeah, Murph and Zero are both fine without the spacesuits. Although, why was Zero running across? Because Zero has some kind of propulsion system. I know. Zero's very inconsistent <laughs> with sometimes having the legs and sometimes not. But it's part of their charm. <laughs> I guess. Because like why would he those legs didn't look super helpful? <laughs> no, they're they're super spindly and uh, why do they not even just break, you know, cuz they just seem Right. And the very floating precarious. the floating seems much more efficient. Exactly. Yeah. I guess here's why is that if they remembered now that he had a propulsion system that could have possibly been used to help guide them to the ship, right? If they all linked arms together, he could just have floated them right to the ship the whole thing was they had to jump and you know pick a speed and direction and hit the protostar which they didn't do obviously were you surprised they didn't use some kind of tether to join each other <laughs> like i would have grabbed something so that they could all at least be holding on to the same thing like like little kids from a preschool when they go for a walk. Well, maybe that was the plan. But remember at the end, things got a little hectic. Right. Where Rock's like, wait, I, I, I'm i not sure I got that right. And then the ship exploded or the station exploded and they just kind of went for it. Sure. So um, it was a little last minute, as it were. <laughs> but Janeway got them in the attractor beam, which I guess has a loving and warm embrace. One would think being grabbed by a tractor beam would hurt like hell. But um, they seem to appreciate it. I yeah, I did exactly. like that right before that when they jump and they're all yelling and they're like ah and then you look and Murph looks like a dog hanging out of a car window like just the <laughs> tongue is out just so excited. <laughs> yes. What does the tongue do? Why does Murph need a tongue? There's so many questions. <laughs> Speaking of warm embraces, there was a very sweet scene early on when they show up at the station and they decide to put on their uniforms and Janeway's kind of getting dolls uniform just right and it was very mom and son and she had a nice little pep talk and he gave her a hug i just thought that was sweet well because he said what if they see right through me and she's like that's what you want them to do and then they'll know who you are and i was like i need to say that to my children 
And then he hugged, he literally hugged yeah. her and she's like, oh, this is new. So she's evolving. She's kind of appreciating emotion. I think she's evolving a little bit. And she gave him the hint yep. of, you know, sometimes you need to take a leap of faith, <laughs> which he took quite literally at the end. Yep. It was all tied together in a bow like these writers do in, in a good way. I mean, I don't mean that. that yes. Dismissive. No, I loved I loved that connection i thought that was great well done and it is a kids show like we have to remember that it's a kids show and so it's even more important that they do things like that yeah i think the only thing we've got left to talk about is the kind of the coda scene where they find they go back to tars lamore and they find a kind of floating stasis diviner right um, admiral janeway and a busted com badge they find a broken com badge right now if you remember the diviner stepped on the combat because mm-hmm. he hates Starfleet in episode 10. Yeah. So from her perspective, he's just this guy and you know, he's probably just going to start lying like crazy. Yeah. Well, we don't know what he remembers, right? We don't know if he's been healing or what's been going on with him because last we saw he'd gone mad. Because the whole thing is we need this tension between the, you know, the two ships. Mm hmm. Because if they just, you know, had a nice conversation, they could work everything out and there wouldn't be any drama for this season. Right. You know, he's going to be whispering in Admiral Janeway's ear, I'm guessing, oh, those, you know, those kids are terrible. Right. They stole kids. my, you know, those rotten kids. Everything would have been uh, fine except for those <laughs> interfering kids. Yeah. Yeah. He just needs to be careful and not say they stole my ship because it is a Starfleet ship. Right. So, you know, he, he can't he has to avoid all his golem like tendencies when he talks about <laughs> the ship. Precious, precious <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was I didn't see that coming. But now that it happened, it's like, oh, of course, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Although uh, where's Dreadnought, I guess, is the question. He must be somewhere around. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you a little something. He's in the game. Which is set between seasons, so that answers You mean the, between the first be, half and the second half of season <laughs> one. <laughs> Yours, yes. Do we need like a little jar for every time we mistake? <laughs> but he does turn up there with an explanation, so... And his name is in the credits. Yeah, we'll see him again. Yep. But they saved plenty, you know, because they've got nine more episodes to go, so they didn't give us everything, and that's fine. I remember when I watched this, I'm like, oh, I got it. It wasn't I have to watch this, but it's like, oh, I need to watch this. And I just forgotten how much I like the show, even though I knew I liked the show. It just it's just such a delight. And so it's nice to be back and can't wait for the next nine weeks. And it's so gorgeous. Like there were so many individual shots that I stopped and noticed and was like, that is beautiful. And I would love to see it on a big screen. Yes. I mean, you know, Lower Decks is great and they do really well with the animation on the show but it's you know this is just on a whole other level and that's why it takes them longer to make the show yeah it absolutely is feature film gorgeous it's, it's amazing how beautiful it looks i think yeah I agree. and sounds yes you know and the music the music is fantastic there's one scene we haven't talked about that i would like to talk oh. about which is when admiral janeway is for some reason reliving chakotay's farewell on the holodeck I was like, does she come and watch this often? Like, it seemed like an odd choice for her to go and be like, I'm going to replay this scene that I was in. And all those Janeway Chakotay shippers are were probably excited because it, it was a very touching, emotional scene. They hug. And, and then she's like, why didn't he call? <laughs> <laughs> he never called. He ghosted me. He said, so this whole yeah. second half of a season is... Janeway's pissed that she got ghosted <laughs> is basically well because she said you're never going to get me back into the delta quadrant the only way to get me back is through the hologram but Chicote ghosting her got her back so don't ghost Janeway is really the message here and she's the one who is like rebuffing him through all seven years of Voyager so maybe he was just getting even <laughs> rebuffing her or you're implying that he was coming on to her not coming on to her i think he i you know i've been rewatching in order and he definitely would have been interested had she's the one who set the limit she's the one i thought he i thought he was quite professional too though so i didn't know i'm not claiming he was unprofessional i think it would have been unprofessional of them to actually pursue it but i think every time he 
sort of moved a little closer, she would draw the line, but they also had an intimacy. It's very complicated now that I'm rewatching the whole series from the beginning. That's all I have to say. The only time I really, I mean, you're more the expert than I, the time where you really get a sense that Chakotay's, you know, down for it is on the planet where they're going to spend the rest of their lives and he makes her a bathtub. Yes. And you start thinking, oh yeah, he's ready to go now. Well, that's when he goes for it. That's the one time that he feels that it's okay to go for it. But they have a lot of like intimate dinners and there's a lot of touching, body touching and stuff going on. But then she's always the one who kind of pulls back. It was a good scene. I mean, but it establishes that this is, a, this is, and this gets back to the interview we did with Kate Mulgrew. This is personal for her. It's not, she's not on a mission from Starfleet to find the protostar. She's on a mission from herself to find her friend Chicote. Right. Which I love. And that's always yeah. who she was. As she said in that interview, that's who Janeway's been from the beginning. So that's it for this episode of Prodigy and for this episode of the All Access Star Trek podcast. We're not going to do bits this week because we had two episodes, so we're just saving time. But we'll be back next week where there will only be one episode of Star Trek to review. Episode 12. Of the, First the second episode. <laughs> See you next. See week. you next Friday. <laughs> <laughs>